Hello and welcome to In The Circle, an inside look at field hockey in the United States, a podcast that gets you closer to the athletes, staff, club administrators, coaches, umpires and fans of USA Field Hockey. Looking in a stride here by Gregor. Oh, lovely bit of work here by Gregor. Can she get it on the score sheet? Across the goal there from Gregor. Well, it's another solo goal here. Are you looking for ways to keep playing hockey while social distancing? Follow STX Field Hockey on Instagram for daily suggestions on how to stay in hockey shape despite not being able to get on the field. You can also head to stx.com to subscribe to the STX Field Hockey newsletter, where we'll be sending you twice weekly skills and drills, gear reviews, and stories from our team STX athletes. Still get much more here. USA Paul Singh gets the second goal. Number 18, Paul Singh, has got the second goal for USA. Okay, today I am joined in the circle by US uh, national team players, Michael Barminsky and Paul Singh. Thank you for joining me into the circle, guys. Yeah, of course. Well, it's a no pleasure. Thank you for having, uh, thank you for giving me your time. Um, and I'm really interested to see sort of this side of the of the organisation. We we spoke to a few of the members of the men's team, so it's uh, it's good to hear from a few more. Yeah, happy to pitch in. Excellent. Um, Paul, if you wouldn't mind starting, would you mind just uh, talking about how you started playing field hockey and sort of where you picked it up? Yeah, no problem. Uh, well, I was about maybe six years old, started playing. Um, I'm from the Moore Park area, Southern California, and there's a big hockey community. Um, and there's a big, I guess, Indian community, you could say. And they all played hockey. And I was already playing a little bit in my garage. and one of my dad's friends just said, hey, bring your kid to the field. So pretty much that's how I got started. Then, yeah, then I, that's where I met Mikey and a lot of the other guys on the national team when we were like seven or eight years old, started playing in the league. That's pretty cool. Why, um, why is Park such a sort of a hotbed for, for men's and boys hockey in, in that region? Um, I think a lot of it has to do with Tom Harris. He's the one who kind of, pioneered the men's hockey wave in the U.S. And he's from the Smore Park area, Thousand Oaks area, and he kind of got it going in the 70s. And, yeah, that's what that's what I know. And I think Mikey knows a little bit more, too, but that's kind of the rough basis of it. The Harris family's done a lot for the men's hockey in California and probably in the whole United States. So they took yeah. Yeah, the, the the Harris family is huge uh, for the hockey out here in California, particularly the Southern California region. Um, like Paul's saying, Tom Harris came in and he just, you know, grabbed it by the horns. He set up uh, the big tournament. Everybody probably knows Cal Cup. Um, he founded that tournament. He set up a league out there and then he coordinated with one of the local community colleges and got a field built on a, a parcel of land that the school kind of uh, lent to him. So he's uh, largely responsible for why there's so many uh, players, and particularly from the men's side, um, that come out of the Moore Park area is because he set that field um, kind of like uh, the classic line, if you build it, they will come kind of thing. <laughs> exactly, field of dreams. Um, and what about your, yeah. your journey into hockey, Mikey? Would you mind just giving us a, a brief outline? Yeah, so um, field hockey is in my blood. Um, my mom played. My grandmother played. My great aunt played, 
um, uh, they were like among some of the first, my grandmother played at University of Pennsylvania and she was on one of the first women's field hockey teams. My great aunt Anne, my late great aunt Anne, um, she played on what was kind of known as the women's national team. Although when she was playing, it wasn't necessarily called that as organized sports for women wasn't quite a thing then. Um, and my mom played uh, in the Pennsylvania area at Radnor High School, and then she went to go and play at Smith College. And um, I was presented with the opportunity at a school event one day, just after school programs, and Coralie Van Marken, who's a legend at the uh, Moore Park facility that Tom Harris set up, came to the school that I was uh, attending, and she said, hey, here's this sport, here's this stick, here's this ball, why don't you go out and hit it around, see if you like it. And it was me and a couple other kids, and she handed out some flyers afterward, informing me about the league in Moore Park. Take it home to my mom, and my mom, obviously very familiar with the sport, being an East Coast gal, and um, she kind of edged me on to say, "Hey, yeah, you should give this a try. I think you'd really like it." And um, from there, that's uh, how it went. I was seven years old and never looked back. Oh, quite a story. This uh, I certainly didn't know that. So it's a it's a good story. What about um? the effect of the Cal Cup, you spoke on it briefly, briefly, would you mind expanding a little bit more about it and sort of its effect? And I guess maybe like a, a little brief history of it. Yeah. I mean, Cal Cup, it started, I think in the late seventies or something like that. Um, I'm not entirely sure on the date, but Tom Harris set it up. It was just on the grass field out there at Moore Park college, uh, which is a local community college. And from there, it's just, you know, really risen into something that, you know, world talents, you know, some of the top players in the world. I mean, you throw out names like Gonzalo Payot, Pat Harris, Jamie Dwyer. Um, I mean, that's just a few of the people that come to this tournament, Cal Cup, and they're, you know, Olympic gold medalists um, showing up to this field in Moorpark, California, um, where you're like, you know, you walk five miles away and you say, you know, ask somebody on the street, have you heard of field hockey? They'll be like, what are you talking about? Um, so it's really cool that we have this kind of pocket, this little hotbed of hockey that, um, you know, produces really, really good talent for the men's national team, but then is also able to draw in, you know, these world-class international players um, to this tournament once a year um, called Calco. Yeah, no, certainly it's, a, it's a, a renowned event and something that, like you said, you mentioned some of the names, Dwyer, and I from the, the ladies' side, you see Georgie Parker, and like you said, Lots and oh, lots yeah, of yeah. gold gold medal winners. Um, in yeah, there. a lot of the women's retired national team players, they'll come out and they'll play at that. And college players, you know, wide variety for sure. Totally. Um, and Paul, if you wouldn't mind talking about your journey through to the national team, so we've gone through like how you picked up hockey. What about um from when you picked up to to the player you are today? Sure. Um, well, I think around thirteen or fourteen, we used to have national championships in San Diego, so. It'll be like the Southern California team or Ventura County Red Devils team, which yeah. me and Mikey played for. Then there's a NorCal team, an Arizona team, and an East Coast team. And we'd all be in San Diego and play a national championships. And then that was kind of the way to get into the U.S. program, the U.S. pipeline. And I think around 13 or 14, I made the U18 team. And then eventually from there, I rose to the U21s and then I think in 2012, I made the men's national team. But yeah, it's kind of easy way to put it, but there's a lot of work that went into it, as you could see probably. But um, yeah, I don't really know. Like, that's probably the basis, the easy way to put it. 
And Mikey, did you follow a, a reasonably similar path? Yeah, I mean, it was the same path. Like Paul's saying, you know, it seems rather seamless. Like it's like, well, I'm at U18 team, then U21, and then now I'm on the men's national team. Um, and you just kind of like, you know, growing up in the Park area, that's kind of the way it goes for, you know, the players that are going to progress that next level. It's kind of like seamless in that event that it's like, you know, you're at the top of your game. You're playing well at these regional tournaments. Like Paul's saying, um, the national championships down in San Diego is one of the best times ever. Uh, they got to bring that tournament back, I think. Um, it was a huge opportunity for all the juniors to get together and play. We'd, like, run around the hotel and hop in different pools and stuff. It was, it was a really good time. Um, but you get some really good exposure to the coaches and just kind of the information that the head coach of the national team was, you know, presenting to his players. But when you were like 16, you'd, you'd be getting this information as well. So it really helped with your development. And I think there's a couple of people like Mike Whitehead and uh, Ben Mariquin. Those guys were really big for, you know, Paul and mine's generation to say, hey, you know, this is how you play hockey. This is what you need to do. This is how you need to, you know, pack your bag. You need to bring this many pairs of shoes to, you know, a tournament, whatever it is. Um, but that standard professionalism that is kind of just um, – you know, nowadays, Paul and I look at it, we're like, yeah, like we know to do these type of things. Um, th those guys were really responsible for helping us push through those levels. And um, I, I did the same thing as Paul. I, I went U18, U21, and then onto the men's national team in 2010, I think, late 2010. And um, yeah, it's been a really fun ride and, and really enjoyable. And, but there's, you know, obviously been a lot of, um, a lot of people helping along the way, trying to make sure that we have all the tools we need to progress. Yeah, uh, just to add to that, like uh, Ben and Mike Whitehead, they did a lot for us, but there's other, the whole, back then, the whole men's national team was in Moore Park. They trained right, for the right. time in Moore Park and San Diego, and they always played in the league over there. So when we were like, I don't know, Mikey, what, like 10 to 12, we yeah. would always stay at the field on Sundays or Saturdays and watch them play. We're like, man, these guys are so sick. Like, can't wait to yeah. play for this club. Like, me and Mikey now play for separate clubs in America. Like, I play overseas, but when I come home, I right. still play my home club. And my home club's LA Tigers. So, on that team, they had, like, Riku Bamber, who was a former men's national team player. So, he taught me a lot when I was a kid. So, he kind of took over my – like mm -hmm. teams and kind of brought us to the Tigers and same thing with Mikey he was on the Roadrunners so right. he had like Anjanolfi and like all these former national team players that they took and they brought into their division one team and so when we were mm -hmm. like 13 or 14 we started playing with these guys and division they're like one. screaming at us like telling us what to do and like hey you need to do this different or whatever it was it was like a ton of mentoring though it was really yeah. really helpful it was a good like tool to have and then it's like all because of that that more park area so we we all progressed pretty quickly like i don't even know like how it happened it just it feels like unreal like now we're talking about it like i never really talked about it but it's like oh man that's pretty crazy like <laughs> a lot a lot a lot's happened like that you know and then ben and mike kind of took over on the tactical professional side and we started training like a lot. I mean, how many times, Mikey? Like three times a week until the yeah, summer. Yeah, three, four times. Yeah, at least. Like fitness sessions. Like we were getting exposed to like all this kind of high performance training at like 13, 14. Mm -hmm. And then 
we would all meet up in San Diego and just play against these teams and like it was a big rivalry between us and the East Coast team because all the East Coast players they didn't have a lot of boys like playing in the East Coast so they had to get the European Americans you know what I'm saying so yeah the dual citizenship yeah so in our eyes like from Ventura and like our area we took pride like we're full-blood Americans and we just want to beat these European guys yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there's still like there's still a rivalry there like whenever we train now with the national team sometimes <laughs> yeah. after we split up teams we're like okay more park guys versus the east coast guys right we play games and stuff like that so it's quite fun like that yeah it, it was cool because we went to that men's national championship and it was like you instantly had this like you know you had a national championship there's a lot of competitiveness but it was an added layer of that on top of it being that like east coast west coast like European and you know just full American citizens like battling it out it was always kind of fun and it it really led to you know both of us all of us um progressing just that much more on the skill side and just in in a competition type of way yeah certainly that competition is good to to be involved in the more you're exposed to that the the better you're going to come and you're going to put those your those skills under real pressure right Plus, um, we had intense league games, too, when we were <laughs> in Moore Park. I know me and Mikey played against each other since we were <laughs> nine years old. Yeah, I was I was seven. How old were you? I was probably – yeah, I was probably seven. I think the uh, first yeah. time I played against Mikey was Cal Cup. I think that was his first Cal Cup and was probably, like, my second Cal Cup. Yeah. And, like, mm-hmm. Mikey could attest to this. Like, my dad ran a club team, and so we had, like, all the te- – like, pretty much all the good players, you could say, and – Mikey had like some of his guys and we yeah. used to dominate, dominate. And then the first time yeah, Mikey, you guys did. Mikey came in and like, like, okay, whatever, like playing Cal Cup. And then we get a corner. I still remember it so clearly. We were like eight or nine. Short corner, yeah. it so clearly like we were like, it was me and like a couple other guys who played on the national team and like currently Tyler and Renvere. We were all like on the top of the deal. We we're like, okay, this is the corner play. And then Mikey just, would run out first and just I was first runner yeah you would just scream as loud as you can like ah! all of us were like oh. all the way to the top of the circle and we, we 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 all got shook we're like yo this kid's crazy man and then like whatever we didn't know of him he single-handedly beat us that game because we were all just so intimidated by him and then I think we played <laughs> each other in the final of Cal Cup and we were on the turf field because you move from the grass right. field to the turf field. That's right. And then uh, mm-hmm. one of my teammates, uh, like he played on the national team too, Ranveer. He's like, I'm just going to hit him. I was like, okay. And then he just got in, just <laughs> smacked it straight out of his feet. And then Mikey just did not say anything the rest of the game and just smacked him off the field. That was fun. Yeah. I remember, I remember it so that. Great. Yeah. I, I, I think it was my dad. My dad said something. He said something. He's like, "Hey, you should just like scream as you're running out to the top circle. They'll, they'll disorient them or something." Yeah, I was like, "All right, it worked. Yeah, that's it a great worked." Idea. We're like, "Yo, this kid's crazy, man." Just <laughs> eventually, yeah. we all became really good friends. But we played against each other since we were like till we were eight, till now when we play in league too. If I come home and I play in league, I yeah, we still league. play against each other. Yeah, which that that's crazy. Think about that. We're 27 now. We started when we were seven playing against each other. We've been playing against each other for 20 years. Yeah, that's crazy, huh? That's wild. Yeah. So I had a chance to talk to um, to Alex Grassi, and I've, I've chatted with Rucker, and it's a 
take me into the the life of a, oh, of a no. uh, not of Alex, but of a national of a <laughs> of a national team player um, in, in the men's side. Like it, it's obviously run slightly differently. So how do we? How does it balance? Like we've got you've got some players over in Europe. You've got some players that are based in the US. How does how does it work? Yeah. So if you're Alex Grassi, I just want to throw it out there. For dinner, you get a whole thing of pasta. You make a huge bowl of it, and you you just eat it all at one one go and you have loads and loads of parmesan cheese that that's the life of a national no, team you, athlete in the you, terms you, of Alex Grassi. You, you just played on the table for a week we all lived together at, at some point in San Diego we had like eight guys in the house it was super fun and that that was a really good time and that's a really good representation of uh what it was like for a day-to-day um like a lot of us would have school a lot of us had work. We had like some side jobs, and then we were training every morning. It was um, that that was uh, pretty chaotic. Like that was probably at its full strength. That was when we were like 22 to 25 or so. We were living in San Diego, and we would literally get up at 5:30, get to the facility by six, do a pre- prehab till 6:30, train from seven to nine, cool down nine to nine thirty, eat breakfast, go to school go to work right after and then get up the next day and, and do the same thing for like five or six days during the week. Um, and that was pretty crazy. I think for now, the day in the life of a men's national team athlete, it's a little different. Um, that was back when we were all consolidated in the States. So we had a big training camp and facility uh, down at the Chula Vista Olympic Training Center. So we had a ton of guys down there, and now everybody's doing their remote uh, training. So some guys are in Europe. I think Paul, uh, he's over in Germany, but I think he's back for the uh, coronavirus. Um, But myself, I'm here in the L.A. area. I train um, probably at the field when it reopens uh, two or three times a week. I go to the gym uh, two or three times a week. I also have a job. Uh, that I work full time, um, 40 hours a week. So there, there's really not like a lot of room, um, as opposed to kind of like what the women's national team has. Um, they've got it a little bit different with their stipends and just the, the way that they operate as a team. Um, they're kind of compensated for playing hockey as you know, the men's national team isn't um, compensated uh, at all for that. So it's just, you know, the way it is. Um, but we have to pick up the slack on our ends and uh, kind of do double duty in order to make it all work. For sure. I agree. But um, a lot of us went overseas, like, for example, I did. Yeah. Uh, I, I went overseas after Rio. So I was living in San Diego when I was from 19 till, I guess, 23. And then I I enjoyed the CTP kind of life. It was good. But and I would always drive back to Moore Park and uh, play in the league. But then I felt I wasn't really progressing like as much as I want to. And then um, a bunch of opportunities came up, you know, some teams see you play and they're like, oh, you should come play here or here. And then at the time, uh, our team, one of our teammates or two of our teammates, uh, Tom Barrett and Adam Miller, they were playing at Southgate HC in uh, England. And they just told me, like, hey, come play over here. We already talked to our coach. Um, just talk to him about the details, you know, the whole whatever, what you want kind of thing. And then I was like, okay, cool. Then kind of got in with that. And then 
from there I played a season in Southgate, which was awesome. Like a good good club I played there was when I was a junior. Crazy. Oh, yeah. no way. It's, it's yeah. Club. I yeah. think it's one of the nicest clubs like in England because they have that really big clubhouse and you could like overlook on the pitch and you could see all the games. And yeah, it was fun. And then after that, I think we went to Pan Am Cup and Lancaster did well. But when we were in, we had like a training camp in Europe and uh, Aki, he plays on the national team. He asked me, he's like, hey, do you want to come play in Germany? I was like, yeah, cool, I'm down. And uh, pretty much gave me this contact to his home club in Stuttgart. And uh, I met their coach and uh, the captain and the manager. And they kind of, they saw me play a couple times and they're like, yeah, we would like you to come here. They gave me an offer. I was like, okay, cool, I'll do it. Then I played there for two years. It was a great two years over there. And then this season, I moved up to the first Bundesliga with uh, Krefeld. And then, yeah, that's been awesome too. So I'm playing against like some of the best players in the world. And and we were doing really well until this coronavirus thing hit. I was looking forward to hopefully qualifying for the EHL, but it is what it is. But yeah. Playing overseas is a lot different than staying home. Like, yeah, yeah it's more, it's more prof- like it's of course it's professional over here, over here too. But over there, you you're getting paid to play, and they're right. giving you all these things like housing, a car, and stuff like that. So you have to really put out and make sure you're doing the right things. And then mm-hmm. the fun part too, including last year because we were preparing for the Pan Ams. So everyone who played in Europe, we would all meet in Holland or something like that to have a training camp as a group for like three or four days. So for example, I would train Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday with my club. And then Saturday, Sundays, we had double headers. And so we would play in the games over there. And then Sunday I would hitch a ride with either Mo who played in Germany, who plays in Germany or Aki. And we would drive to Holland and then train Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in Holland with the national team and then come back home or to your home club and then do the whole thing over again. You did that probably like twice a month, something like that, from what I remember. Yeah, and that's how pretty much you just stayed in shape and kind of, I enjoy playing overseas because it's not stagnant. Like the CTP was great, but when you play other people every week, other teams and consistent games, I think that's how you improve rather than just training and playing the same people all the time it gets kind of boring so yeah i guess that's the the biggest challenge for the guys the u.s players that don't go overseas is how do you how do you keep doing how do you simulate those games it's even something the women the women um and i'm finding with them is compared to their like the dutch or the um or the uh, belgium girls or the english girls or the argentinian girls we're we're minus probably 40 club games a year that they're playing so how Mm -hmm. do we how do we replicate that type of intensity how do we replicate that um ability to learn and those experiences that those players have and it's really hard to do within within this u.s environment but you gotta you gotta find a way and there there are certainly ways you can be creative it sounds like mikey you're being creative and i when i chatted with alex he was he was saying similar things that he can keep himself busy (laughs) yeah i i think one of the biggest things for i mean if there's any players you know out there listening that you know or boys or or whatever one of the the main things that i ever learned was from my coach ben mariquin was that you have to be able to create, you know, the pressure or the training scenarios or 
whatever instance, you know, that you can visualize in a game um, and, and be able to train that, you know, w- without having that defender there or whatever it might be. Um, and that was the only way you were going to get somewhere with that training. Um, because, you know, in these, in the States, like Paul's saying, like you're saying, it's the, the competition factor just really isn't there comparatively to, to European countries or Australia, whatever. Um, so you kind of have to create that pressure um, inside of your head in order to get the results when the time does come, um, when you're minus 40 uh, games, like you're saying, playing against somebody from Holland who's got, you know, 40 season games under their belt just this year alone, whatever it might be. Yeah, but I think the good thing about us, including on the West Coast, is we have the Moore Park League. And the Bay Area right. has a decent league too, and mm-hmm. so I know the boy. I I can only speak on the boys, but I know the boys are playing in the leagues. But it's up to them if they how serious they want to take it. So sure. I think at times they don't take it as seriously, but then there's times they're like, oh okay, cool, there you go. And I like what the Bay Area is doing right now too. They they got a lot of really talented boys. At, at yeah, the they do. Pushing some good things through. And what about um, talk me through national team? Obviously, you've, you had uh, you were recently over in uh, South Africa and had some games. What are some of the highlights of things that have happened in the last or sort of, twelve, eighteen months or so that you can call upon? Uh, yeah, I think though, like the whole twenty nineteen year was, you know, that that was a good run. I think that we medaled uh, quite a few times and. Uh, I mean, just to top it all off, we ended up getting the bronze at the Pan Am Games. And I think the last time that the USA men's team has done that was what? It, was it 1995, Paul? 95, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's, you know, we were automatically into the 1996 um, Atlanta Games. I think, it, I think it was Atlanta. Um, so there's a lot of money obviously being pumped into that squad for their 95, you know, Pan Am games. So getting a bronze is, you know, probably what they should have done. Um, but I think for us to do it um, under our circumstances just really shows, you know, another level of, you know, the, the steps that we've been taking as a team. Um, and that's not to discredit any of the steps that were taken before us, um, because obviously we're not where we are without, you know, the past um, uh, teams and players. But I think that we've, you know, achieved something and we have something, you know, physical, attainable. It's a, it's a bronze medal. Um, it's not gold, but at the same time, that, that's a huge, huge step, I think, for us uh, as a men's program uh, from the past to the present and looking to the future. No, totally. And what, what would you say are some targets on the horizon? Uh, well, I think I think for sure right now it's the my bad Mike. <laughs> I think for sure wow. that I think uh, it's the World Cup coming up. Yeah. Moment. I think all of us are focused on that. We want to play in the final. Um, at the moment, if I'm speaking honestly, we're just not quite there yet. Next to Canada and Argentina, I remember when we were right. playing the Pan Am Games, we played Canada in the pool play, and we were all like super psyched, like yeah, yeah, we could do this, we could do this, we win the pool, we played this and this. And they just, they just stepped up another level, Canada. And yeah. So when that happened, I was like, oh, well, we're there, but we're not there. Like Canada has right. a, a different mentality. They've been there. They've been to the big tournaments and 
I have like I, I talked to a couple of guys on the Canadian team they're some of them are my friends and they're saying like yeah you guys are looking scary but you know we're not gonna back down kind of thing like it doesn't really matter like you guys are there but you're not there yet so whatever it is what we need to do I think we're already there with them talent wise and fitness and stuff like that I think now the next step is mentality and how to play a perfect kind of game against those two teams yeah definitely I agree with Paul on that that last bit in particular it was with any team you've got to be able to play you know the full 60 and I I think we're we're short of that I think we play a lot of good hockey um but just not 60 minutes of it yeah totally that's yeah oh sorry Mark I think that's what happened to us in South Africa too despite uh yeah we had a pretty young team too. Like a lot of our Super young. Main yeah. guys weren't there, but they played really well. And South Africa is clearly going to the Olympics, but still you have to play a full 60. And a lot of the guys over, who play overseas get kind of frustrated. They're like, man, like just do this or this. But some of the kids are young. They don't understand like that. Some of them was their first cap. So then, you know, it kind of just builds up. But they played super well for their – like, South Africa as their first cap is awesome. My first cap was against Guatemala, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, like, a little great. different. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess that's, for me, that's the beauty of hockey, the fact that you have to concentrate, that goals can come very quickly, very uh, very fast. You, if you're, you're not on your game, you can see, can, can see two or three goals in a, in a very short period. Um, so I think for me that's one of the biggest beauties. But obviously, if if you're not if you don't execute um, appropriately, um, then you get caught out, like you like you said you guys did against South Africa. Yeah, right. I don't think we didn't get smacked all over the place by them. But like it was pretty good. I think each game we lost. Oh, we could have easily won though. You yeah, know? I think like, every, every game we lost in the fourth quarter, like if we just yeah. kind of ran out of gas or I don't know, like mentally you just got tired or something, and then they have some pretty good players, like really good players. So of course they're going to take advantage. So that's what sure. happened. And what about um, memories playing hockey? We've just spoken then about some of the, the stuff we've done recently, but sort of what about your most cherished memories as a hockey player? Paul, can I go to you first? Oh. Hmm. It's tough. I think... Oh, man, I think for me is uh for sure winning bronze at Pan Am Games. That was pretty. That was pretty special because I used to look up to. I still do look up to the former national team players that taught me and I played with, and they never won a medal until like we did. So it's kind of cool to top them. I don't know. That sounds kind of rude, but whatever. Yeah, I, I think I think what you mean is like just like carrying on their legacy. Cause yeah, I'm carrying the, on their legacy. I like think, I did it for them, yeah. kind of thing, you know. And for the former players that didn't get that chance, that were really close but didn't get it. Like I know it's bronze, yeah. but still, it's pretty pretty special, including for mm-hmm. our program. But yeah, I think that was really a big highlight. And then also playing overseas and playing in front of like big crowds and like. like Mark you know like derby games and stuff like that like that's so much fun like I remember all those times like I cherish all those times for sure and like drunk people on the sidelines just like talking trash if you're a away team and like I don't know I just 
I, I like those kind of games and like I cherish those. I remember all those games kind of thing too, you know. Yeah, certainly it's good to to play in front of the crowd. Hopefully one day we'll that'll be something that in this country we can we can emulate and 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 get happening on a regular basis. What about yourself, Mikey? Memories that you yeah. have? Yeah, I, I got to side with Paul on this one. I mean, we already talked about it, but the Pan Am bronze, I mean, that it's just, you know, it, it's a long staircase for the men's, you know, program as a whole. And somebody started off taking the first step, just making the team or getting some guys together to, to play some hockey in America. And um, it, it, we're just along that point in the staircase um, is what it shows to, to get the bronze, I think. And that's, you know, we couldn't be at that step with all the other people taking all the steps before us. And hopefully those steps, you know, continue on. And, you know, I don't want to, I wouldn't be, you know, salty or, uh, or angry if, you know, 10 years down the line, some kids up there at the Pan Ams and he's got a silver or, or gold even, you know, it's not going to be upon me to be, ah, you know, damn, that could have been me or, or that should be me instead. I think everybody is a real steward of the game in America, they're very protective of it, um, as we should be. It's very fragile, it's particularly for men. Um, we have to protect kind of what we've built and encourage and mentor and reach back to, to make sure that those steps are still, you know, progressing. And I think it's that's just a big culmination of, it's not just me playing that game, you know, it's Ian Scally. He told me this thing, you know, 10 years ago at the Park Field, and now I'm applying it here. Uh, at this huge tournament you know like there's so many people that you can think of in so many culminations and moments um of of an an environment of hockey that you've been bred around that allows you to be you know a bronze medalist and um yeah I, i think that's definitely my top moment by far is that bronze medal no, and it certainly sounds like you guys have sort of set that as a as something that you're very proud of, but also a platform to achieve further success from. It seems to have given you a, a taste of what you could achieve, and um, hopefully you can go on and achieve, uh, surpass that, and uh, in in tournaments to come. Yeah, I, I I hope that's the case. I mean, you want to bring in big crowds, and we got to get Dana White on the marketing board or something. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but yeah, or Mark Cuban, get the cubes in here. But yeah, I think the whole thing could really take off and hopefully uh, it continues to progress and be the sport that we all know and cherish it. But um, more people are aware of how cool it is or how fun it is to play. I hope we could just play more games in California. I know a lot of games are on the East Coast. More Park's a good facility to have games in the Bay Area. Like, it's good areas to play. And of course, there'll be a big crowd, including if the women's team came here. Like, geez, like that'll be awesome if they came and played at Moore Park. I don't even think some of the women's players even know there's a field at Moore Park. So- no, we we were out in Chula Vista where we had to. Our trip was cut short. We used that as a training base. When do we go there? We were in there in like February time, um, yeah. and that's that's an incredible setup. I really enjoyed being there. I absolutely love the sun. We don't get much of it on the East Coast. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a big draw. Big draw. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. Definitely, it definitely was. Um, brilliant. Mikey, Paul, thank you very much for your time. It's been great to have a chat. It's been great to listen to your journey and listen to a little insight into, into hockey within, uh, within the men's system. Yeah. Thanks for having us, Mark. Nope. Brilliant. Thank you. Guys, stay safe and uh, let's hope we can all get back on the field soon. Good. Thank you. Excellent. Cheers.
Thanks, guys. Spread out. Create space. Five yards. We hear these cues all season when playing field hockey, but we need to remember them even more while social distancing. STX Field Hockey is here to support you as you continue to create space during this time. Follow us at STX Field Hockey on Instagram or subscribe to our newsletter at stx.com for daily tips and tricks on how to keep a stick in your hand while social distancing. Let's move this. Let's triangle a play to thread it through here onto the right-hand side. Gonzalez again looks up. Well, it's a good opportunity getting here for USA to take the lead, and they have! Thank you for joining us on In The Circle. Come back next week for another look inside USA Field Hockey.